And Jesus said to him, verse 29 is where we're breaking in here. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Can you say blessed? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, Jesus is believable. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray, Lord, for the person who has no faith at all. I pray that through the hearing of your word today, faith would be born in their hearts, Lord, that you would give them the gift of saving faith that is not of ourselves. It's given to us by grace. And, Lord, I pray for anyone here with weak faith. I pray, Lord, that their faith would be strengthened. And, Lord, I pray for anyone here with strong faith that they would be fired up to help spread the good news that brings faith to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is believable. Can we say that? In this world, the Christian faith is under attack like I've never seen it in my life. While radical Islam is on the rise and causing great problems, there's many times in the marketplace we're being thrown in the same boat. My efforts today is to strengthen your faith in Jesus. I believe he is believable. The word believable, it's an adjective that means able to be believed, able to hold water within the bounds of possibility. It means credible. I believe that Jesus is able to be believed in and that believing in him does hold water and believing in him is within the bounds of possibility and Jesus has credibility. The synonyms for the word believe are the words credible, plausible, likely, tenable, conceivable, imaginable, convincing, probable, possible, feasible, reasonable, rational, sound. If you look at creation, there's a lot of things that we see and we believe in that we cannot explain. Just absolutely amazing. Everything from the water cycles to the wind currents to woodpeckers to the weaver bird. Who's ever heard of a weaver bird? Their nests are works of art. They're museum pieces. They kind of live communally, and when they build a nest, it's from twigs And they weave a sphere that has a tube feeding off of it. And it's all totally self-contained, woven, totally just interwoven like a basket. They fly up the tube and lay their eggs in the nest. Little yellow birds. In Liberia, they call them rice birds. They hate them. They feed off their rice. So on the rice farms, they always have the slingshot ready to hit those weaver birds, keep them out. But their nests are just amazing. How did something like that just come into being on its own. So if you're an atheist, you've got to have faith. If you're a Christian, you have faith because God's given it to you. He is our creator. And we believe that God sent his son and lived a perfect life for us. 
and that he died for our sins and he arose from the dead. And there's several things that I've preached on some of them, but not all of them in the circumstances surrounding his resurrection that I would just like to meditate on today to increase your faith. Jesus is believable. The first one is the stone was taken away. When Mary first went to the tomb, according to John's writing, she went there several times, I believe. According to John's writing, she saw the stone taken away, and she ran, thinking the body had been stolen. Now, they had put a heavy stone against the entrance to this new tomb. His enemies wanted to prevent a false resurrection. They wanted to prevent his body being stolen because they wanted to end. They said, if we don't prevent this, then things are going to be worse than they are right now if people believe that he's risen. Of course, their worst nightmare came to pass. He arose from the dead, and, and the guards failed to prevent a resurrection from happening. And the stone, a heavy stone, was taken away, even though it was under guard. This is awesome. To me, this is more than just the stone rolled away so they could get in. Obviously, in his resurrection body, he didn't need the stone to be rolled away to get out. The stone was rolled away for them to get in and see the tomb was empty. So in, before his resurrection, the stone kept his body captive. You with me? The stone reminds me of the Ten Commandments, God's commandments written in stone, defining what sin is, have kept us captive. Revealing to us our captivity and our need for a resurrection. Our impossibility in our own strength, the utter impossibility in our own strength to fulfill all of those commands perfectly, revealed to us our sin. So we were under the schoolmaster. But through the resurrection of Christ, he took away the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and gave us justification through faith in him because we could not receive it through obedience to him. So the stone literally and spiritually was rolled away for us. We have direct access to the Son of God. In the temple, there was a compartment called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And when he died, the veil which was thick enough that a team of oxen couldn't even rip it, was ripped from the top so high men couldn't reach it to the bottom, revealing the emptiness of the Holy of Holies because the Ark of the Covenant was already gone. So they were just playing church in the temple. There was no Ark of the Covenant with which to present the sacrificial blood each year. It was gone. It, they, they lost it. <laughs> and just as a veil was rent... I believe the stone was taken away for us so we could discover the resurrection and so we could discover freedom from living under the law. You know, he came and gave us the law. He made the law a matter of the heart. The law said, don't kill. He said, don't hate. The law said, don't commit adultery. He said, don't lust. He simplified things for us, whereas under the Old Testament, the Pharisees complicated things for us. 
They created new laws to keep us from violating God's law. Keep the Sabbath holy, they created laws to define what that meant. They're called fence laws. Kind of like Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, God said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She added the fence law, don't touch it. It might be a good idea not to touch it, but God didn't say that. She misquoted God, and the enemy was able to get her to touch it and tempt her to see, see, nothing happened, go ahead and eat it. So I just love the fact the stone was rolled away, that God used stone to communicate resurrection and life to us. The tomb was empty. Empty. Now, you can go to the Holy Land and see Calvary, and it looks like a skull, just like the Bible says it. And almost in the side of that hill is a garden with a garden tomb that beautifully fits the description. And you walk in there and see there's two ledges for two bodies, and nobody's in there. Gone. It's still empty. Um, Now, when they went in there, they saw these linen cloths lying there. And if you remember, when he died, he was wrapped in linen, and over 100 pounds of spices were put on him. So mixed with this linen were these spices and perfumes. So he had kind of like a cast wrapped around him. So with linen cloths, it doesn't say how many. A lot of people are fascinated with the shroud. If there was a shroud or not, there also was claws wrapped around him. So multiple claws, plural, was wrapped around him. And they are just laying there. The body no longer in them. And the handkerchief around his head was folded. And that has, that's a whole other sermon in itself we won't get to. But he just exited his grave clothes. Revealing the fact he has a new body. He being the first fruits of the resurrection gives us assurance of our resurrection. That one day we're going to receive bodies. You know, as believers, our spirits have been reborn. And as believers, as we become disciples, our minds are being renewed. But one day we have assurance through the resurrection of Jesus. Our bodies, spirits have been reborn. Minds are being renewed. Our bodies are going to be replaced. And these clothes will just fall down, whether they're in the grave or we're walking around somewhere when he gives us our glorified bodies. We won't need them anymore. Well, what will we wear? I kind of believe we'll be like in the Garden of Eden. We'll be clothed with the glory of God. Adam and Eve were naked. Outside of God's glory, which they lost when they sinned. Now look at this closely. When Mary looks inside the empty tomb and sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. What in the world is that about? I don't know, but it reminds me of something. It reminds me of angels. In Genesis, when man sinned, God sent angels to guard the way to the tree of life so that man in his wickedness did not have access to the fruit that gave eternal life. So the two angels, I believe, point to the way of eternal life, Jesus. 
Two angels also remind me of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was an instrument of worship that God led Moses to create. It was a wooden box overlaid in gold that had rods on it with which they were to carry it. If you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've, that movie, you've seen a replica of what it probably looked like. And on top of the box was a golden plate. Inside the box were the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that had budded and bore almonds to reveal he was to be the high priest, and a pot of manna, which was what God fed them with in the wilderness. Those three things, to me, symbolize God's will, God's authority, the rod, God's provision, the manna. Man had violated all three of those. So they're not only symbolic of God's awesomeness, they're symbolic of our sinfulness. For the first copy of the Ten Commandments ever made it to man, they were broken. And Aaron's authority was resisted, and people were not appreciative of the manna. And so inside this box were symbols of God, but also symbols of man. And covering those things was this golden plate called the mercy seat. And on either side of the mercy seat were golden angels facing the mercy seat. In this tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was, it was at the head of a formation of furniture. If you looked at it from the top, it was the shape of a cross. At the foot of the cross was an altar made of brass. In the middle of the cross was a tub of water called a laver made of brass. So blood was shed initially at the altar for man's sin. And then there was washing with pure water at the laver. And then the blood was taken into the first compartment outside the courtyard, an inner court called the holy place, where there were three pieces of furniture laid side by side. On one side was a table of bread, unleavened bread on it. On the other side was a candlestick. And in the middle was an altar of incense. The candlestick reminds me of Jesus. He's the light of the world. The altar of incense reminds me of Jesus. He prayed for us, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The table of unleavened bread reminds me of Jesus. His body was broken for us. The laver of water reminds me of Jesus. As he's shedding his blood for us, water flows from his side. And at the head of the cross, in the Holy of Holies, behind this veil, was the Ark of the Covenant that had two angels looking down on it. So these two angels sitting down at the head and the feet of Jesus, sitting there, when I know why, just reminds me of the Ark of the Covenant, that Christ is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. He is God's law. He promised to write God's law in our hearts, no longer on tablets of stone, but in our hearts. He is the authority of God. He is the rod that budded. He came back to life in his resurrection. He is the bread of life that came down from heaven. I just love this. It strengthens my faith. A unique part of this story that never made sense to me before. The first eyewitness was a woman. And he sent her to go tell the good news. Now, if this was a hoax in that day and time, if you were planning a hoax, a fake resurrection, women were not valued highly in that culture. Think of the Middle East. Think of those that want to conquer the world and impose their religion upon everybody. Women are supposed to stay in the house. They were not allowed to go to school. They were not allowed to go to court. They didn't know how to read. 
And here this woman that Jesus loved, she had brought her, taken her through deliverance, had healed her, brought her to a place of wholeness. She's a first witness. If it was a hoax, that never would have happened. And to me, it testifies of the fact that Jesus comes to elevate people. He comes to elevate women. And Paul wrote later on in one of his books that in the kingdom, there's no longer male or female. We are all the sons of God. The fearful disciples were glad. Notice this in verse 19. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So they're scared. They're behind closed doors. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Shalom, y'all. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. From sadness to gladness. From fear to faith. Transformation. And these guys went on to proclaim the gospel around that part of the Roman Empire that they knew of, where the Lord sent them. And they all were tortured, and none of them recanted their faith. They all were killed except John. He, they tried to kill him and failed at it, and he died of old age. These scaredy cats became flaming evangelists for the Lord, fearless for him. And finally, future believers are blessed. Because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed, Jesus said in verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In his book, Has Christianity Failed You?, Ravi Zacharias, who's heard of him, points to one of the greatest proofs for the truth of Jesus and the reality of his resurrection. And that proof is the reality of changed lives. He wrote, During the course of nearly 40 years, I have traveled to virtually every continent and seen or heard some of the most amazing testimonies of God's intervention in the most extreme circumstances. I have seen hardened criminals touched by the message of Jesus and their hearts turned towards good in a way that no amount or rehabilitation could have been accomplished. I have seen ardent followers of radical belief systems turn from being violent, brutal terrorists to becoming mild, tender-hearted followers of Jesus Christ. I have seen nations where the gospel was banned and silenced by governments Nevertheless, it has conquered the mindset of the culture. In the middle of the 20th century, after destroying all of the Christian seminary libraries in the country, Chairman Mao Zedong declared that Christianity had been permanently removed from China, never to make a return. In 2009, on Resurrection Day, the leading English-language paper in Hong Kong published a picture of Tiananmen Square on page one. The picture of Jesus had replaced the picture of Chairman Mao on a gigantic banner with the words in Chinese, Christ is risen below it. He is believable because those who believe in him are blessed. They may face 
torture. They may face death. But he gives them the ability to continue to believe. Are we all perfect? No. But as we follow Jesus, he perfects us. He writes his law in our hearts. He deals with us one thing at a time. If you're a believer, what is that one thing the Lord has his finger on that he wants you to adjust in your life, that he wants you to repent of? What is that one thing? Don't resist that. That's his finger writing his law, his will, in your heart. I'm not done yet, but I'd just like to pause right there and pray. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would make us sensitive to the one area where you're wanting to make an adjustment. Help us, Lord, to yield to you, to repent. Lord, if it's a need to trust you or to let go of something or to reconcile with someone, Lord, help us to to adjust our lives according to your will and not just according to our culture. In Jesus' name. And as we do, Lord, I thank you that you're going to be faithful to reveal to us something else. Continue to adjust our lives. Within each of us is a seed so powerful, it will birth a transformation of who we are and how we behave. It's a gift as close as your own lips and heart. It's the place of true conviction that says with no reservations, I believe in the one who came down and was made man. Even when you've been through so much and it's hard to reach out and trust, you are created to believe. Blessed are those who believe without seeing, for faith is the sight that says God is who he says he is. When you believe, it pleases God. When you speak, God is moved to action. Abraham believed God and was set right with God. Moment by moment, he delivers. Strength for weakness. Joy for sorrow. Hope for the hopeless. Eternal life for all who believe. So take God at his word. Believe it in your heart, in your struggles, in your victories, and see what he will do. How it will change your life forever. Romans 10 verse 8 tells us the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. We were all given the ability to believe. What will you believe? Sometimes you may not know. So look for the fruit of beliefs. Thomas Arnold lived in the 19th century. He was an Anglican leader. He said, intellectually, the difficulties of unbelief are as great as those of belief. While morally, the argument is wholly on the side of belief. I know there's some really good moral atheists. But think with me. How many atheist hospitals are there? How many Baptist hospitals are there? Methodist hospitals? Lutheran hospitals? Catholic hospitals? The famous Americans that had been flown back from Liberia, been afflicted with Ebola, were at a Christian hospital in Liberia. In 1976, we were visiting Liberia, and I got hit with malaria. I was taken to that hospital, Elwa, eternal life winning Africa. What will you believe in, and what will be the moral outcome of those beliefs is something to consider. Willful unbelief has some characteristics. I got most of these from John MacArthur. I think he would do well to read these himself now. Willful unbelief sets false standards and ignores real standards. If any of these hit you between the eyes, apply them to your life. Willful unbelief claims to want more evidence but never has enough. Always wants more but never has enough. Willful unbelievers do biased research with agendas. Their vision's been tainted. They want evolution to be true, so it affects their research. Willful unbelievers always do their best to reject facts they don't like. I don't like that, so I'm not going to believe it. Well, jump out of a tree that's 30 foot tall. You will not like the outcome, but you still have to believe there's gravity. Willful unbelievers seek to discredit contrary witnesses. person may be speaking the truth that they're going to attack them, bring up their past, whatever they can do. And they refuse to change the opinions they formed before they were informed. Jesus is believable. Now it's your move. Will you believe or will you hold on to your unbelief? How's it working for you? How's it working for you? Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. There's a lot of things we believe in that we can't see, but we know they're true. Jesus is one of those things, I believe. Let's pray again. Lord, I pray that you would bring every person here to a place of saving faith and knowledge In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.